Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, as that song that we just sang um, reminds us, Lord, your word tells us that you are dwelling within us. The Holy Spirit, who you prayed would come, the reason why you left us here on earth was so that the Holy Spirit could come to dwell within us who have received Christ as our Savior. And because of that, it, it is true that we have the same power dwelling within us as you showed when you walked this earth. The same power that rose Jesus Christ from the grave in victory over sin and death and hell lives in us individually and as a church. Lord, we just thank you for that. I mean, it, it, is, it is amazing, Father, what you have done for us the gifts that you have given us through the Spirit. And Lord, we know that Scripture tells us, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we know that Satan's desire is to come into this church and disrupt it and destroy it, to cause controversy, to cause uh, disunity. And Lord, as we look into your word this morning, I pray that we would remember, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That we would remember that we have the power of the Holy Spirit to live in a way that glorifies you individually, as families, and as the body of Christ here at Liberty Hills Bible Church. I pray that you would be with us this morning, that your Spirit would work in our hearts, that you would help us to walk away, not just with knowledge, Lord, but that we would be changed to become more like your Son. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> my, uh, my wife is out of town this week, or this weekend, so she's not able to give me the stink eye if I go too long, so you're in trouble. <sighs> not really, though, because my voice is going, so <laughs> you're probably safer. <clears throat> Hopefully, most of you have had some knowledge of what we're going to be do- doing over the next a uh, few weeks here in July. Uh, I believe an email was sent out as well as posted on Facebook, um, kind of our plan for the month of July, both uh, for the for the Sunday morning anyway. Um, obviously, we don't have church uh, meetings Sunday nights. We do have life groups tonight. If you're not plugged into a life group, talk to one of the life group leaders, which would be Elders, <laughs> or uh, any of the deacons could help you get you uh, plugged into a life group uh, that is local to you guys, or if you want to travel, you can travel. We've got them pretty much all over the city, so make sure to avail yourself of that. And we're going to kind of see why that is important over the next few weeks as we talk about what does or should a New Testament church look like. You know, as we as we come into church on Sunday morning, as we um, come into this church, Liberty Hills Bible Church, as we uh, look at how church is done, right? What, what the church looks like. We all come in with history, right? I don't want to use the term baggage because that has a negative connotation, but we all, we all come in with a history, right? We all come in with an understanding of what church should look like, what the church should be, Right? And, and that understanding a lot of times comes from what we've experienced, what we've seen. Sometimes it comes from what we've been taught. 
Um, but this morning and, and in the weeks coming, we want to really anchor down specifically in the Word of God. And there's like nobody over here. It's really throwing me off. All right, you guys are out. I'm just going to talk to this group right here, all right? <laughs> so we're, we're going to really focus in on what does the Bible say? Now, we're anchoring in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. So go ahead and turn there, Ephesians chapter 4. That's going to be our anchor passage, but some of the things that we'll talk about during the Sunday morning service and probably even more specifically in the uh, following Bible class, we're going to continue that kind of procedure, we'll go into more depth as far as what how that affects Liberty Hills Bible Church. Okay, So Sunday mornings are going to be more, what does Scripture say about the church? Right? What does Scripture say the church should look like, how the church should function? And then in the Sunday school class, we're going to kind of say, now what does that mean for Liberty Hills Bible Church? Right? Not saying that we aren't going to say that in Sunday morning too, but we're going to go in a little bit more depth. So make sure that you are here for 9.30 Bible class. It's important because that's where we're going to relate this to us, right? That's where we're going to say, this is how we are going to obey Scripture as Liberty Hills Bible Church. All right? So don't miss 9.30. And I'm going to throw another plug in later, all right? So 9.30 Bible class, don't miss that next week and, and the weeks to come. There's a purpose for it. It's not just so that we can get up here and talk one more time. All right. There's a purpose for meeting together in the Bible class hour. Okay. So we're going to be going through um, this this concept of what what should the what should a New Testament church look like. Now I know some of you might be thinking, "Good grief! When are we going to get off that subject?" <laughs> because it seems like we've taught on it fairly recently and somewhat often. I mean, how many times do you have to hear the purpose of Liberty Hills Bible Church? It's to make mature followers of Christ to the glory of God. Right. We've all got that memorized, right? Hopefully. I mean, we've said it enough times, and we've said it together enough times, we should have it memorized. So we have this concept that we've been teaching throughout probably the last year-ish about what does New Testament church look like. Well, as we've been kind of taking in everything that has happened over the last few weeks, um, as we're going through what really is is a transition period, um, it's, it's always a transition when you have yeah, some fairly major shakeups from a leadership standpoint, uh, specifically when an elder who has been here from the beginning is no longer with us. You know, that's, that can be a pretty major shakeup to the body. And so as we were thinking and praying through this, Lord, how do we, how do we best lead the church through this transition time? How do we do that in a way that it's going to help us not just get through it, but help us move forward and move onward for Christ. All right? And so as we prayed about that, as we thought about that, uh, the Holy Spirit really worked on us in two different ways. First is through a lot of the questions that we were getting from you guys about what's going to happen now. <laughs> right? There's, there's a lot of questions. People have questions because we haven't gone through this before. You know, we haven't gone through this process. And so there's a lot of questions on people's minds and, and that they've asked us specifically, you know, what, what does the next few months look like? What, what are we going to do? And, um, and so as we were evaluating that, you know, we just felt like, well, maybe 
that means we haven't taught as well as we thought we taught <laughs> what the Bible says. Because if there's still questions, then they need to be answered. And so part of the reason that the Holy Spirit has led us to do this is to answer those questions so that the church can be settled in their mind and be unified in their mind as to what the Bible says about how Liberty Hills Bible Church is to operate. But secondly, as we've spent time in prayer and reading the Word and just thinking about you know, everything that's happened over not just the past few weeks, but even over the past year or so, um, one of the things that we, we really came down on is the fact that not only maybe did we not teach as well as we thought we did, another problem is maybe we didn't example as well as we thought we did. Maybe we weren't showing you what it looked like to be a New Testament church. And we're going to see that here even in this passage that we look at this morning. But the Holy Spirit has really been working on us as elders to, to not just teach concepts, but to lead by example. Because that really is what we're supposed to be doing. And we're going to see that um, as we jump around a little bit this morning in First Peter. So, why are we doing this? Well, quite frankly, because the church needs it. And because we need it. We need to be reminded as elders what a New Testament church looks like so that we can lead Liberty Hills Bible Church to be a New Testament church. So that's why the next few, next four weeks, we're going to be going, or next three weeks, we're going to be going through Ephesians chapter 4, specifically talking about what does a New Testament church look like. And there's, there's kind of three different sections that we're focusing on. And uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 16, talking about how we are led, basically the purpose of leadership in the, in the New Testament church. Now, if you're expecting me to go into the biblical examples of plurality of eldership and why we have multiple elders and things like that, <clears throat> that's not going to happen. That'll happen next Sunday morning. <laughs> All right? So, plug number two. Come back Sunday morning, Bible class, 930, because we are actually going to answer a lot of questions that have been asked to us about what do we do now? Are we going to hire somebody else? You know, how do, how do we lead if, if everybody is equal? You know, how, how does that work, right? And so we're going to answer those questions, not from here, but from here, okay? Because this is where it should come from, all right? Because there are biblical reasons for it, and you need to understand that, all right? So it's not just because we got four guys and we all want the same power, <laughs> all right? They're, the scripture is very clear about how that works. And so not only will we have um, some time to answer those questions, we're going to go through and look at what the Bible actually says about eldership, about uh, rulers in the church, how that is supposed to be lived out. Um, we're going to dig deeper into how we do that based on what Scripture says. All right, But if you, for some reason, cannot make it, I will have a, a handout that we will email, email out to everybody. We will have it here for everybody to look at to give you something to go back because we're not asking you to sit here and just soak it up and accept it. We're asking you to be Berean Christians and go back to the Scripture and search it out and make sure that we're doing it right. Okay? 
So that's why it's got to be from the Word of God. If it's just up here, or if it's just right here, it doesn't matter. All right? It's got to be from the Word of God. Okay? So everything that we do, that's why we changed our name, right? Liberty Hills Bible Church. We want everything we do to be based on the Word of God. All right? So, 9.30 next week. I'm not getting into it this morning. Today, we're going to look at what does Ephesians 4 say about New Testament leadership. All right? What was it, and what was the purpose for it? Okay? And how do we do that here at Liberty Hills Bible Church? We'll get into that next week. Okay? So Ephesians chapter 4, we'll read the passage, and then uh, we'll give some context here. Uh, starting verse 11, it says, And he, talking about Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, excuse me, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, familiar passage. I know, I think I've talked through it recently somewhat. Uh, we've touched on it anyway. Uh, but a very familiar passage, but something I don't know that I did before when I preached on it, is go back to the context. What is Paul talking about at the beginning of chapter one, of chapter four? What's he talking about? Let's look at it. Real quickly, because I don't want to spend a ton of time here, but he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, okay, he's giving a command, he's, he's telling them, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. How, what does that look like? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All right, so what's the context here? Paul is calling the church to act like the church. He's calling them to act in a way that promotes unity in the body. And one of the things that, that I prayed about this morning is, you know, Satan would love to take a time like this to tear apart Liberty Hills Bible Church. He would love that. Because all it takes is a few people who don't want to do it according to Scripture. They want to go follow after their own way. They want to follow after the traditions of men. They want to, you know, create a ruckus. They want to tell people that, you know, that they're doing it wrong. All it takes is a few of those, and this church could have a lot of problems, right? And so the context that Paul is giving this information about the church is he's calling them to unity. He's calling them to humility, to patience, to bearing with one another, to love one another. He's calling them to be a unified church. And he's, and, and what does he do that under? His next few verses says, uh, starting in verse 4, There is one body, talking about the church, there is one spirit, just as you were called by, the, by one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 
Okay, So he's calling us to unity, and he kind of gives us an example of that with all of these ones, right? One body, one faith, one spirit, right? One God. We sit there and we think, we talk, we talk about the Trinity, right? We talk about the three persons. And a lot of times, we can get focused on those individuals, and we forget to come back to the fact that he's one God. And so Paul's saying, you know, he's talked about all these different people. You know, they're coming in from all these different walks of life. And they probably don't have a lot in common. I mean, you look around here, we've got people in all different professions, all different historical backgrounds, all different walks of life, coming together, really not under normal circumstances, except for the fact that we are one body under one God, following after Christ. And he talks about Christ in the next verse. Let's pick it up here in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Think about that. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. All right. What does that mean for the church? Well, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, does anybody remember what he's talking about? What? Spiritual gifts, right? So here, Paul is focusing on gifts that are given to the church. Christ, in his grace, has given gifts to the church. That's the context of these four leadership positions, or these four leadership gifts, really. They're gifts. You know, a lot of times when you look at the church, um, especially when you look at leadership, right? Do you really think of leadership as a gift? <laughs> uh, you think about your workplace, right? Is your boss, you usually think of your boss as a gift? Like, more of a punishment, right? <laughs> Sometimes, you know? <laughs> Let's be honest, we, we don't look at leadership oftentimes as a gift, um, especially when it comes to, like, you know, political leaders. They're, they're more, you know, worst-case scenario, less worst-case scenario most of the time. Um, so we don't, we don't think of them as a gift, really. But God, but Paul here is reminding us that these leaders in the church are gifts to the church. They're gifts. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never really thought about a, a pastor or an elder as a gift. You know, it's just kind of their, that person, <laughs> right? We just don't think of it that way. But Paul, in context of, of what Paul is about to say that we already read through, is that these are gifts that Christ has given to the church. And if we think about them in that way, I think it'll change kind of our perception of what New Testament leadership is all about. See, if we consider why God gave these gifts of leadership to the church, it changes the way that we perceive leadership. Because no longer is it just somebody that I have to obey. No longer is it just somebody that, you know, I'm stuck with. <laughs> it's somebody that has given, been given to the church for a specific purpose, right? So, let's dig in. What are these gifts? <clears throat> Verse 11. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 11 says, And he gave who? The apostles. All right? We're going to take some time and dig into these four. Okay? And he gave the apostles. Who were the apostles? I know it's Sunday morning. You can still say something. Okay, those who walked with Christ, right? Traditionally, we look at the apostles as 
basically the disciples, right? And we, we include Paul because Paul makes it very clear in most of his epistles that um, he's a, an apostle of Jesus Christ, right? So we typically, we, we think of the disciples and Paul. And that's traditionally who we consider to be the apostles. So what does the word apostle mean? Um, technically, the word apostle just means one who is sent on a mission. One who is sent on a mission. So as we look at the, the concept of an apostle, we look back and say, okay, well, what is the mission that the apostles were sent on? Anybody know? To make disciples. Right. I did not plant him. All right. <laughs> to make disciples. We find that in Matthew. Uh, oh, I just lost it. <laughs> 28, thank you, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, right? Specifically verse 20. That's what he's commissioned them to do. He has sent them out to make disciples, right? He sent them out to teach them everything that he has commanded, right? So the purpose of of the apostle was to, A, begin the discipleship process, and B, to lay down the doctrine of the church to lay down what Christ had taught the church. That was the function, that was the purpose, that was the gift that God gave to the church and the apostles. Can you imagine if we didn't have the apostles? This would be a lot smaller, would it not? If we didn't have the apostles, we'd have a lot fewer books in our Bible because that was why God gave them to us, was to establish the words of Christ to pass along the words of Christ to future generations. And we have that 2,000 years later because they were faithful to that calling. So the apostle, word apostle means one who is sent on a mission. And we have the great commission that they were sent on, which was to go and make disciples and to teach what Christ had taught them. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's interesting, though, that Scripture actually mentions others as apostles. Did you know that? Well, first of all, they kind of they kind of added an extra apostle. Anybody remember what his name was? Matthias, right? So remember, Peter gets up and says, "All right, here's the deal. Judas isn't with us anymore, so we need somebody to take his place." That's the Welsh paraphrase version, all right, of Acts chapter one. <laughs> so we need somebody to take his place. You know, you you guys choose. Um, and so it's interesting. I'm not going to park here a long time, but it's interesting how they chose. They cast lots, right? Other places in Scripture, you don't see that in relation to sending people out. But that's interesting. So I, I don't know if, if God necessarily saw Matthias as an apostle or not. But he is mentioned as an apostle. He's, he took the place of Judas in the book of Acts, chapter 1. Another person who is mentioned uh, as an apostle is Barnabas. Barnabas. Where do we see that? Acts chapter... Uh, 14, verse 14, real quickly. Just so you know, I'm not blowing smoke. Acts chapter 14, verse 14. All right. He's equated as an apostle with Paul. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news. And it continues on there, uh, being worshipped. At this point, as as if they are not men, <clears throat> and so it equates Barnabas as an apostle with Paul. Now, when you think about what the word apostle means, that makes sense. 
They were sent out on a mission. Were they not? What were they doing? What were Barnabas and Paul doing? They were making disciples, right? They were on a missionary journey. They were going out, making disciples and establishing churches from city to city, right? So Barnabas was very much doing the same thing that the apostles were commanded to do. And he was specifically sent out earlier. You can read, he and Paul were sent out, chosen by the Holy Spirit, and sent out to go do this work. All right? And then the third one is found in Galatians 1, verse 19. Galatians chapter 1, verse 19. We have a reference to James, the brother of Christ. And Paul references him as an apostle as well. Starting verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, or Peter, and and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. All right? So here Paul is equating James with the other apostles. All right? So, again, why, why do I bring that up? Tradition or Scripture? Tradition or Scripture? Because traditionally, we think of an apostle merely as the disciples. But apostle... And the Word of God is simply one who is sent on a mission. And that mission for us as believers is discipleship. It's making disciples of Christ. Now, specifically in the early church, the apostles, the ones who were noted as apostles, were the ones laying down doctrine, right? Okay, so we have the apostles. Now, the apostles, what was their scope? It was global, right? They were laying down doctrine for the entire church. Alright? They weren't just focused on Jerusalem or Philippi or Ephesus, right? Their scope was global in nature. Alright? And long term, <laughs> as we're still reading their words even today. So the apostles were messengers, ones who were sent on a mission. Uh, traditionally the disciples, the Bible includes others, and their purpose was to lay down the doctrine and teachings of Christ for the future generations. All right? So, back to Ephesians chapter 4. I promise this will pick up. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 4. So, he gave apostles, in verse 11, the prophets, the prophets. Now, who are these guys? Anybody know? Sort of. That's actually more in line with the next one. (laughs) Who are the prophets? Come on. Preachers? Okay. That's not the one, that's not what I was expecting to get. I was expecting to get, you know, Hezekiah, (laughs) Zechariah, Malachi, you know, the major minor prophets, you know, that's that's what I was expecting to get. Dan's a little too smart. (laughs) Remember, what are these? These are gifts, right? Correlating back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, right? In 1 Corinthians, Paul hammers on the gift of prophecy. Does he not? Alright? What is a prophet? A prophet is simply someone who shares or tells the words of God. That's, that's what a prophet is. Someone who proclaims the word of God. That was the same back in the Old Testament. And specifically, they would get it verbally. <laughs> you know, they would, they would get this message from God and then they would go share it to the people. Sometimes it was accepted and sometimes it wasn't, right? I mean, we, we look at the different examples in Scripture. But their job 
was to take the Word of God and share it with the people. That's what a prophet is. So were there prophets in the church? Are there prophets in the church? Yeah. Paul talks about it a lot. He said, he even talks about it in reference to tongues. He says, if you speak in tongues, great. In fact, I'd love for you to be able to speak in tongues. But I'd much prefer that you prophesy. All right? So what is he expecting people to do? He's expecting people to proclaim the word of God to one another. That's what he's expecting. That's his gift of prophecy. That's the gift of the prophet. So this gift to the church is not just the apostles who lay down the doctrine, but also prophets who share the word of God in a way that it makes you able to understand it. All right? It's a, they're sharing the Word of God. They're proclaiming the Word of God in a way that you can understand and obey. That's the role of the prophet. All right? And again, Paul was very vehement about the importance of prophets and the prophecy. And we actually, if you read through the book of Acts, you'll see multiple people who were named as prophets. Even uh, one man who had several daughters who were prophets, prophetesses. Right? Because they simply proclaimed the word of God. All right? That's all it means. Someone who proclaims the word of God. So, again, keeping the focus on gifts given to the church. Is that beneficial to the church? Do you think it's beneficial for the church to have people who can proclaim the word of God to them? Yeah? (laughs) That's probably a good idea, right? If he gave us his word, we probably need some people to be able to go through and say, okay, look, guys, this is what we're talking about. All right? That's what we're doing right now. We're taking the Word of God and we're explaining it in a way that makes sense, hopefully. <laughs> All right, so the, the gift of the prophet to the church. Their purpose was to edify the church by declaring and expositing the Word of God. <clears throat> Ethan, go fill that up for me. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right, now the apostles had a global scope, Right? What kind of scope did the prophets have? It was more local, right? It was more, really, it was individual. A prophet would go and they would speak to whoever was around them, whether they were in their local church, whether they were out and about, whether they were on a missionary journey. The skiff of prophecy was wherever, right? It wasn't laid down for everyone, like, like the global nature of the apostles, but it was pretty much kind of an anywhere, as you're going, share the word of God. That's how it was, that's how it was done in the early church. But a lot of it was more local, you know, that's why Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians. When you're coming together, right? When you're coming together as the church, you know, everybody has these different things that they want to do and they want to say, you know, but make sure you focus on prophecy, the sharing of the word of God, right? So it was very crucial to the local church. Excuse me. So we have apostles and we have prophets. All right, number next. We have, in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. Ooh, the evangelists. <clears throat> Who's that? What? Everybody? <laughs> Everybody? What's the gift? What, what, is, what is an evangelist? What? Those who share the good news, right? It's referring to the gospel. Uh, the word evangelist literally means bearer of Good news. Like a messenger, right? There's lots of messengers here, aren't there? (laughs) So literally a bearer of good news. So an evangelist is someone who shares the gospel with the lost. 
All right? Who shares the gospel with the lost. Now, again, is that a good thing for the church? I mean, how does the church grow? You gotta have more people being saved for the church to grow, right? You have to have new birth. Just like a family. A family grows with new birth. A church grows with new birth. Right? So, in order for the church to grow, we have to have people being born again. And so the gift of the evangelist is vital to not just the church globally, but the church locally. Alright? And God has given that gift to different people within the church, the ability to share the gospel. Now, does that mean only certain people have to share the gospel? Be like, I do not have the title evangelist, I am off the hook. Is that what that means? No, it doesn't. Because we all have the same commission, do we not? Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Right? We all have the same commission. It's still all of our jobs to share the gospel. But clearly, God has given a supernatural gift. Remember, these are gifts of the Holy Spirit. God has given a supernatural gift for some people to just be able to share the gospel better than others. <laughs> there are some people, you know, they, it doesn't matter who they're talking to, they can just zero in on that person, their history, their background, their need, and they can just turn the conversation, and it's all about Christ, and it focuses specifically on them, and it's just, quite frankly, it's a supernatural thing. Because we as humans just don't have that ability um, in and of ourselves. I know, I know I struggle with it, to be perfectly honest. You know, but there are some people in Liberty Hills Bible Church that have the ability, supernaturally, to relate to people in a way that allows them to share the gospel more freely. For many of us, it takes a lot more work. It takes a lot more relationship building. It takes a lot more conversation. For some people, they can get right in and zero in and share the gospel. That's the gift of the evangelist. And again, is that beneficial to the church? Absolutely. Because the church requires birth, requires new birth. So we have the apostles, we have the prophets, we have the evangelists. The evangelists, um, their purpose is to expand the kingdom of God. That's the purpose of the evangelists, to expand the kingdom of God. Now, they have a purpose within the church, but really their, their you know, scope is a little bit more global, is it not? Their scope is pretty much... In- Right? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Okay? I think that's very key. (laughs) He's talking to people who are part of a church. Right? They are integral to a church. Not just from a leadership standpoint, but as part of the body of Christ. All right? The elders of Liberty Hills Bible Church are members of Liberty Hills Bible Church. We are a part of the body of Christ at Liberty Hills Bible Church. We are not a special class. All right? We are part of the flock. All right? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. Okay, so there's some responsibility here. Right? There's some responsibility to oversee the flock of God. We're supposed to shepherd the flock of God. What does a shepherd do? Shepherd cares for the sheep. He guides them. He feeds them. He protects them. Right? I mean, we could spend 
another hour, and I won't, just on what a shepherd does uh, in regards to the flock and what, and what we should be doing as leaders, as elders here at Liberty Hills Bible Church, okay? So there's a lot wrapped up in that concept of shepherding the flock, okay? Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, okay? This isn't, shouldn't be something that we're doing because we feel like we have to, okay? Nobody's twisting our arms to be elders, well, Eric did a little bit, but <laughs> nobody's forcing us to be elders, all right? We're doing it willingly, which is what the Scripture says, okay? So not out and under the compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. That is key, as God would have you, okay? This isn't something that we just said, yeah, it sounds like fun, let's do it, all right? This is something that we have spent much time in prayer. I know that... Uh, David and Eric spent a lot of time in prayer before they even approached us. But I know that each of the, the other three of us, I mean, we've spent a lot of time in prayer and in the Word trying to determine, is this really what you want me to do? Because there's a lot that goes into being an overseer of the church of God. It is not a light task. And, and we need to do it in the way that God wants us to do it. And so he says, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. It's not our own idea, it's God's. Not for shameful gain, okay, so that we shouldn't be in it for the money, right? That's not why we're here. Not to, not to get off of you, whether it's money or things or praise, you know, it's just shameful gain can mean a lot of things, right? We're not here to be worshipped. We're not here to get, you know, accolades. We're not here, you know, to get lots of money. We're not here, you know, to, to have you, you know, save Oh, I just love you. I mean, we do love you. We hope you love us. But, you know, that's not why we're doing it. It's not for shameful gain, right? There's a lot of things that could be involved in that. <clears throat> but eagerly, okay? Not domineering over those in your charge. Have you ever seen a pastor like that? Not domineering over those in your charge. That I'll be perfectly honest with you. That is a one of the big things that I try to be conscious of. Um, it is very easy anytime you are in a leadership position, especially if you're like a type A personality, <laughs> to just, uh, you know, be the one in charge. You know, just take over, to just tell people what to do. That can be very easy to do. And especially when they've put you in a leadership position, when they've accepted you as a leader, it can be very easy to be domineering. And Peter's reminding us that's not what New Testament leadership looks like. Not domineering <clears throat> over those in your charge, but what? But being examples to the flock. But being examples to the flock. That's what a shepherd is. A shepherd is someone who comes along and says, you know what, guys? This is what God has told us to do, and this is how I'm living it out. And as Paul said, follow me, as I follow Christ. That's what we're supposed to be doing. As elders of Liberty Hills Bible Church, our job is to be examples of what we teach. I don't know about you, but that's tough. That's tough. To take the Word of God and to tell you, you know what, you guys, we need to be living like this. And then to know that Peter says, I've got to exemplify that. I've got to walk what I'm preaching. Because that's how you guys learn. That's how you guys grow. 
That's how you guys are shepherded. If I'm not living what I'm preaching, then what I'm preaching is worthless because you're not seeing it lived out. Peter says that we are to be examples to the flock. And here's the key. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Who's in charge of Liberty Hills Bible Church? Christ. Peter says, you're supposed to act this way as elders among the church, among the flock that God has placed you in. You're supposed to act this way. You're supposed to walk this way. You're supposed to not be domineering. You're supposed to be gracious. You're supposed to be humble. You're supposed to oversee, you know, but you're also supposed to be an example. That's what we should be being as elders of Liberty Hills Bible Church. When you look at us, you should be seeing men who are walking with God. You should be seeing men who are doing the things that we are calling you to do. That's what you should be seeing. And I'll be honest with you, there are times that we've failed. And we will because we're human. But the majority of the time, we should be walking with God and being examples to the flock of what it looks like to make mature followers of Christ. Because that's what an elder is. He's a shepherd. And Peter gives us that example, that, that command in 1 Peter chapter 5. But they're also teachers. Two quick verses that reference that. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially who? Especially those who labor in the preaching and teaching. All right? So we know that elders are supposed to be laboring in the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. All right? Another passage that references that is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. He says, Remember your leaders, those who did what? Who spoke to you the Word of God. All right? But he goes further. Listen to what he says. Not just, listen, not just remember those who, who spoke the words of God, but what does he say? He says, <clears throat> excuse me, Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's the role of an elder, is to teach and preach the Word of God to a local assembly of which they are a part, and to be examples to the flock of how to live. That's that shepherd teacher that we see. Now let me ask you, if that is done well, is that a gift to the church? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you can look at someone in the church who is sharing the Word of God, who's helping you understand the Word of God, and then who is living it on a daily basis, and you're interacting with them on a regular basis, and you're seeing how they act in their home, you're seeing how they act in the church, you're seeing how they act at their job, you're seeing how they, should, how they, should, how they live, and as the writer of Hebrews says, imitate their faith. You then can walk the same way. You then can see it is possible. I don't know about you, but how many times have you gone through the Christian life and thought, man, I'm going to do this right? I mean, how in the world can anybody live the way that Christ wants us to live? Well, they can. And as elders, we're supposed to be that example. That's a sobering thought. That's a hard calling. So Ephesians, Christ has given us four gifts to the church, the, the apostles, the prophets, um, <clears throat> the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers. Why? We're going to go through this real quickly. Why? Back to Ephesians chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 12. 
to equip the saints. To equip the saints. If I'm going to equip a soldier, what am I going to do? What? Prepare him, okay? I'm going to prepare him for the things that he's going to see, the things that he's going to experiment, experience, right? I'm going to make sure that he knows how to use his weapons. I'm going to make sure that he knows all the forms of communication. I'm going to make sure he understands commands so that he, you know, doesn't go left when he's supposed to go right, you know? I'm going to make sure that he is ready to do what he is called to do. That's the purpose, right? And so God has given these gifts to the church. The gifts of the apostles who have given us the word of God. The gifts of the prophets who declare the word of God. The gifts of evangelists who go out and reach the lost, who share the gospel, the good news of Christ. The gifts of the shepherd and teacher who exemplify what it looks like to be a follower of Christ within the local body. God has given us those those gifts as gifts to help us be equipped, to help us be ready to do what God has called us to do. That's the purpose of leadership in the New Testament church, to equip the saints. You know, I said earlier, we are sheep. Elders are among the sheep. They have responsibility of oversight. They have responsibility of of leadership. They have responsibility of being examples, but they're sheep. And we, as elders, need to be edified and equipped. We need to be equipped first, (laughs) but we need to be equipping ourselves. We need to be equipped by others so that we can equip you, the church, at Liberty Hills Bible Church. All of us need to be equipped. Why? To do the work of the ministry. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. What is the work of the ministry? What's the purpose of Liberty Hills Bible Church? To make mature followers of Christ to the glory of God. That's the work of the ministry, folks. That's what God has called us to do. That's what Christ has left us to do. To make mature followers of Christ. And as elders, our goal and our purpose is to take the word of God and to live out by example a way that equips you to better do what God has called you to do. To better make disciples for the glory of God. All right? So that's the work of the ministry. So we're supposed to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ. If we're going out and making disciples, what's going to happen to the church? It's going to grow, right? It's going to grow. Not only are we talking about spiritual growth, obviously if we're equipping you, then you're growing spiritually. But if we're equipping you, and you're going out and you're doing the work of the ministry, what's going to happen? We're going to have more births, right? That gift of evangelism is going to go out there. And we're going to start seeing people saved. And then they're going to be discipled because that's the work of the ministry. And they're going to go through this cycle and the church will be built if we're doing it the way that God designed it to be done. If we're leading you to be equipped to do what God has called you to do. And that's been our goal this year, as we've taught and as we've, as, as we've talked amongst ourselves, you know, is how do we exemplify, how do we show the church what it looks like to, fall, to fulfill the Great Commission, to make disciples of Christ? Because that's our purpose. Our purpose is to help you understand and see what it looks like 
to make disciples of Christ. Because when we do, it will build up the church. But very specifically, I love how it goes, how uh, Paul goes here. He says, building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal. The goal is to have mature followers of Christ. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the church being full of mature believers. He says, we're to be doing this until everyone is mature. We're supposed to be doing this, going through this process until everyone in the church has reached the the fullness of the stature of Christ. Right? When is that going to happen? Well, we've sat down and we've planned it out and we figure by 2019 we should have everybody mature to the level of Christ. (laughs) Be quiet. (laughs) No, it doesn't work that way, does it? We can't just sit down and plan it out, right? It has to be the Holy Spirit working in lives, understanding what they're supposed to do, and then walking in a manner worthy of their calling. That's That takes time. <laughs> that takes effort. That takes discipleship. But that's what he's called us to do. That's We're supposed to do that until everyone is at that point, which means we're supposed to do that until Christ comes. <laughs> That's what, that's what First Peter was saying, until the chief shepherd comes, right? Because they understood, <laughs> we're never going to get there. But that's the goal. That's the goal, is that everyone in this church would be mature and Christ-like. That's the goal. Why? Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Right? Why is this so important? Why is it so important that the church be built up through this process of discipleship? Isn't it just enough to have numbers? If we get more people in, if we have more money in the bank account, you know, isn't that enough? No. Because the purpose of discipleship is to protect the church. To protect the church from being tossed about by doctrine, by error. What are we supposed to be teaching and preaching? The Word of God, right? That's what the prophet gift is for. To teach the Word of God, right? What are we supposed to be examples of? The Word of God. What it calls us to do. And if we are not doing that correctly, we open ourselves up as leaders and as a church to heresy, to false doctrine, to following after the traditions of man instead of after Christ. That's what we open ourselves up to if we are not following the biblical model of what it looks like to be a New Testament church. And that starts with the gifts that Christ has given as New Testament leadership. Verse 15, what does that look like? Rather, speaking the truth in love. That is so key, is it not? You know, I, we think about the modern evangelist. The modern evangelist doesn't necessarily fall in line with what Scripture says. Scripture says it's a person who's sharing good news, right? A lot of modern evangelists are very uh, doom and gloom, are they not? Fire and brimstone preachers, you know? That's not exactly the way that Christ expects us to share the truth. 
Speaking the truth has to be the truth. But how? Speaking the truth in love. Why is it so important that we get this concept of leadership in the church correctly? Because if we do it wrong, then we won't get the outcome that Christ wants. If we do it wrong, we're going to get what, quite frankly, a lot of us have grown up in as a church. A lot of people doing a lot of things to make themselves feel good. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to be disciples and to make disciples. That's an active life. That's a spiritually active. It's not coming in here, sitting in a chair, listening to somebody like me talk too long. It's about going out and doing what God has called us to do. And it's our job as leaders to equip you to It's our job as leaders to be doing that ourselves. Rather, speaking the truth in love, what happens? We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Who is that? Into Christ. He comes back full circle here. He starts off with, who gave these gifts to the church? Christ did. Because why? Because it's his church. Right? And then he talks about these, these gifts of leadership that are supposed to help us grow as a church to become more like who? Like Christ, right? And as we're growing, we're going to be built up into the one who is the head, who is the one in charge, Christ. If we're doing it correctly, Christ is the head of Liberty Hills Bible Church. If we're not doing it correctly, someone else is. We'll talk about that more next week. All right, let's finish up. From whom Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Why does Paul keep coming back to love so much? It's in a lot of his writings. There is a special bond and unity and love in the body of Christ that you will not find anywhere else especially a body of Christ that is working the way that Ephesians 4 describes. The body of Christ that is equipped, that is jointly put together, that is held together under the headship of Jesus Christ, it works and it grows in love. That's what the, that's what the body of Christ should look like. And that's the purpose of New Testament leadership, is to equip the church, both in teaching and by example, how to do that. That's the purpose of Liberty Hills Bible Church. Christ as the head has gifted Liberty Hills Bible Church with specific gifts of leadership to equip you to be more mature and to be useful parts of the body which Christ the head can use to grow his body. That's the purpose. So what should you expect from your elders and your leadership here? You should, under, they, you, should under, you should expect that they understand that Christ is the head of this church. Scripture is very clear about that. He is, a, he is its creator, its giver of gifts, and its head. Christ is in charge. I know it's late, but I want to I mention this real briefly. How can Christ be in charge if he's not here? You say, well, that sounds all well and good, David. Christ is the head. That's nice. How can he be in charge if he's not here? Can I take you back to Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20? How does that end? And lo, I am with you always. 
Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, what? There I am in their midst, right? As we gather together as a church, at least it wasn't a window he fell out of, as, as we gather together as a church, if we're, if we're here under the headship of Christ, Christ is with us. He is here with us right now. As we gather together as leaders, as elders, if we are doing it the way that Scripture commands us to, with the right attitude, with the right focus, He is with us. Christ is the head of the church because Christ is with us. And He is with us with the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave is the same power that dwells within us. Christ is the head of this church because He's here. He's with us. And He will lead us if we are obedient. So you should expect your elders to understand that. You should expect your elders to care for the body spiritually, to watch over the body spiritually. You should expect the elders to teach the truth lovingly. And you should expect the elders to lead by example, not by force. That's what God describes as New Testament leadership. And we pray that that is what you see. And we pray that that is what we are as we seek to lead this church to obey, to be mature followers of Christ, to be disciple makers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage, and I thank you, Lord, for the attentiveness as long as this is gone. But I, I, I thank you that you've given these gifts to the church, Lord. And these gifts are not, not simply or only to the elders, Lord. You've given these gifts, many of them to others within this church, who are able to share the truth of God, who are able to evangelize the lost, who are able to care for others within the church. These are not merely gifts just for leadership, as 1 Corinthians tells us. Lord, I pray that as we seek to follow you, as we look at your word, as we try to take your word and to follow the example and follow the commands that we see in Scripture as to what the church should be. I pray that you would guide us, that you would help us not to rely merely on the traditions of men, but that you would help us to to look to your word, that you would make it clear, that you would make it plain, so that we can understand it and so that we can communicate it with others. But Lord, I pray that as we seek to obey this concept of, of being a New Testament church. I pray that you would bless it. I pray that we would see souls being saved, as we've uh, recently had testimony of in the baptisms. I pray that we would see more come to Christ through our, our daily walks and the people that we interact with, uh, not just here at church, but in the world. I pray that we would see those within the church grow to become more like Christ, grow in their understanding of the Scripture, grow in their ability to obey it. And Lord, I pray that for us as elders, that you have placed this solemn duty on to be examples, Lord. I pray that we would live up to that, not in our own strength because it's impossible, but I pray that you would be working in us to be examples to the church here at Liberty Hills Bible Church of what you have called us to be. Not so that we can look back and say, look what we did, but so that you can look at us one day and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So that your name can be lifted up, so that this would not be a church 
built on the name of a man, but this would be a church built on the word of God and that would glorify you and that would exalt you in the city of liberty. We pray that that would be the case, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.